having a brand new testimony of what Jesus is doing in people's lives, and it is so exciting. So this morning we're going to hear from Mike Williams. Let's welcome Mike as he comes on up. Push until it turns green. Good morning. Can you hear me? I wrote notes so I didn't get off topic. Um, so I'm in sales, and if anyone knows me or my personality, um, knows that's not the right job for me. Um, I'm more introverted. I'm kind of quiet, but the Lord, for some reason, has me in sales, um, and that's where I'm at. And um, I had a pretty good last year. I was really su- successful at my job. I broke a couple records um, at my work. But I've exceeded my quotas, things like that. But in November, uh, I fell on some kind of some tough, difficult times in sales. And in November, I had one sale for the month at my work. In December, I had one sale at my work. And so in January, timely, we had this series come up about faith, and we were fasting and and praying and seeking God for great things. And um, so Liz and I, my wife, began to really pray and ask God to really bless us as a family. We need it. we got a fourth baby coming. I need to Come on. buy some groceries. And um, my wife's six foot. I'm six foot three. And my kids eat like teenagers already. And the oldest is six. So, um, And we started believing God for really great things. But all through January, crickets, nothing. So January, one sale. And as a salesperson, and, and when your job is sales and marketing and you're not producing, you start to, things start to creep up. And you're like, oh man, what am I going to do? Are they going to fire me? What's going on? God, where are you? And finally, in February, I, I met Quota, which in, in and of itself is great. I met Quota, had four sales for the month. Things were good. But Liz uh, got a word from the Lord that God was about to really break through and open the floodgates. Come on. And um, she said, I'm believing God for 15 sales for March. And I'm thinking, you are crazy. The record in in, in my location was five. And she's praying for 15. And that's a woman of faith right there. I'm so grateful for her. Where um, would you be without her? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. So... She's praying that the, the praying that the floodgates would open. I show up to my work, and my boss is an unbeliever. Her name is Laura, and she says, "Mike, I really believe this was last month sometime." She says, "I really believe the floodgates are about to open." Oh my gosh! I'm like, God, is that you? Of course, it's him. And um, you know, God is confirming things along the way, but often God wants us to go through a period of faith and waiting. And that's where, that's where we were. And I, I was still kind of fearful and anxious and, and worried about what's going on. And um, so fast forward to March. Now it's March. What day is today? 17th? 17th? As of Friday, uh, when I left work, so the record is five, right, at my work. As of Friday, we're halfway through the month, and I've already got seven sales for March. God is good, guys. And, um, you know, Liz and I are able to pay our bills. We were able to bless um, randomly this family this month that we love and we cherish good friends of ours, and they had no money. And now we have extra. So we were able to give to this family, and they're just blown away by God's goodness. That is beautiful. And we are able to pay off some student loans, and, and we're working towards paying off debt and had plenty of extra to tithe and give. And we just want to give... Um, God all the glory. Come on. And I just want to share one more thing. Uh, Psalm 46 1 says that God is our refuge and our strength. He's our ever present help in time of trouble. And when we're in trouble, we can go to Him and say, God, give me strength. And mm-hmm. we can hide in Him. And He's ever present. And he, he shows up right in the nick of time. In the nick of time. Not very early, usually. <laughs> but right when we need it, He shows up. Yeah. And does great things. So, Amen. Woo! One of the most important things I heard Mike say right then was that sometimes you have to be patient. Uh, Josh said something to me recently as well. Um, basically, like all hell is broken loose 
And, 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 I, and, and I said, isn't that, isn't that the way it goes? Jesus taught us in Mark chapter 4, if we don't understand the way the kingdom works and the way the enemy works, we'll get confused as we're trusting God. Jesus said, when the, when the sower sows the word, Satan, what? Comes immediately with persecution, affliction, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things for the purpose of robbing you of your faith so that you cannot produce a harvest. But they that are sown on good soil, that is you don't stop believing no matter what it looks like. Lazarus died and Jesus still wasn't moved by it because he had something bigger in store. It says that we bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold with patience, with endurance. So when you hear a testimony like this and your miracle has not come through yet, don't get discouraged, don't get depressed, don't get mad, don't get sad. Just keep believing. And then you will have a testimony at the end of the day, be able to stand up and be able to show like Mike just did. Because I guarantee you, Mike felt just the way some of you feel right now when his pop and yours hasn't. Just keep believing. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So let's pray and get into the word. Jesus, thank you so much for the power of the word of God. Not the word of men. It is the word of God. Lord, break it open in us today and let faith arise in your people. In Jesus' name. So today, we're continuing on our series on faith. And we've done faith and patience, faith and hope, faith and praise. Today we're doing faith in Jesus' name. I pray today that by the time I'm done sharing a little bit, that the name of Jesus will no longer just be like a, a little polite thing we put at the end of our prayers or a rabbit's foot that we rub and, and magic things happen, but that we will understand the gravity of the name of Jesus. You know, uh, my dad, I don't say this to brag because it has nothing to do with me. My dad was the largest home builder in the state of Ohio, and he built himself the largest home in the state of Ohio. And so, and he, was, he did all of his own advertising. He was on the radio, and he was also very political, so he did like full-page ads like in the Union Tribune. You see the front page ads of, you know, what he believed should be happening in the city. I mean, he was, he was out there. I would walk into a restaurant or walk into a store or wherever, and I'm a complete nobody. Nobody knows me. And then I'd use my credit card, and they'd see my last name, or I'd say my last name, and they'd say, oh, do you know Don Ettor? All of a sudden, I'm somebody. And I was either loved or hated. <laughs> because he was loved or hated. It is the same way with the name of Jesus. Jesus is loved in heaven, hated in hell, and either loved or hated in the earth. And in the realm of the Spirit, you and I are nobodies until it is recognized that we are related to Jesus by the new birth and we bear his name. The seven sons of Sceva, Sceva was a priest, and his seven sons saw the apostle Paul using the name of Jesus and casting out demons. And there was a demon-possessed man, you read this in the book of Acts, and so the seven sons of Sceva thought, oh, well, we will cast the demon out of this man like the apostle Paul does. They tried to do it, and the demon said to them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. Isn't that interesting? But who are you? It's a hilarious story in the Bible. Not hilarious for them, but very instructional for us. The demon beat up all seven of them, stripped their clothes off, and they ran through the city naked. Now, we don't want that to happen to us, right? So you better give your life, so you better give your life to Jesus right now. You really ought to. But it's interesting, they, they knew, they recognized that Paul had a relationship with Jesus Christ. They knew it. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? In the spirit realm, 
heaven and hell, demons and angels, know whether you are in Christ or not. And heaven and hell both know the authority that rests in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But the question is, do we? In heaven, Jesus' name is revered. In hell, it is feared. And in the earth, it is jeered. It's used as a cuss word. It's trampled on. It's, that's why the Lord says, do not use my name in vain. Don't use my name. Don't say GD. Because God is not the dammer. He's the Savior. Satan is the one that inspires human beings to use the most precious name under heaven as a cuss word or as some irrelevant throwaway line. But when you and I, as his people, recognize it is the commander-in-chief's name, and demons recognize it, and hell bows down to it. I mean, yeah, they do. And heaven bows down to it. And when we understand this as his people, and when we pray, and we use his name, understanding the authority, whoo, man. That is when we get results. That's why I want to teach on his name today so that the depth of the authority it carries will be resident within us. The name of Jesus literally unlocks heaven and binds hell. You see, there's no other name on earth that heaven respects. Heaven does not respect the name of Muhammad Confucius, Gandhi. Heaven does not respect the name Mother Mary when we pray. When we address heaven, heaven does not respect any other name than the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because Jesus is the only one who lived a sinless life. He's the only one who died and rose from the dead and destroyed the power of death which the devil had, took the keys or the authority, that's what keys mean, is the authority of death, hell, and the grave, rose from the dead, goes to heaven, as we learned last week, sprinkles all of the throne room of God with his own blood, you read that in the book of Hebrews, and sat down at the right hand of the Father and said, okay, I did what you asked me to do, it's done. And so when you as a human being on earth come to Christ and his spirit comes in you, and you are born again, and you become an ambassador of heaven. And then you speak to heaven, and you use any other name besides the name of Jesus, nothing happens. Or when you and I speak to the devil, and we cuss at him. We, not that I would, but Mark would. Or that you, or that you say, oh, I hate you, and I'm going to beat you up, and we do all this kind of stuff. That doesn't affect hell at all. There's one thing that hell responds to. The one who earned the right to be able to tell demons what to do. Because he died for our sins. paid the price, rose from the dead, and he has all authority in heaven and earth. And guess what? So do we. In his name. That's why we see things like this in the scriptures when we address heaven. Look what Jesus said in John 16, 23. All at that time, Jesus said to his first followers, at that time, that time being when I raised from the dead, because he had not yet died for their sins, at that time, which is our time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request Say it out loud. Say it out loud. Because you use my name. There it is, right there in red and white. That's also why we see in Luke chapter 10, 17 through 20, his first disciples, when they went out to use his name 
against the enemy. It says, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us. Now, these were just fishermen, tax collector, blue collar, average Joes and Janes, you and me. They didn't even have theological degrees. They weren't even trained in the scriptures. And they were shocked. Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Jesus says, yes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. I love Smith Smith Wigglesworth's testimony. He said he was asleep one night and his bed shook and he woke up. And he says, Satan was literally standing at the doorway of his bedroom. And Smith says, oh, it's just you. And he went back to sleep. (laughs) An evangelist friend of mine said that he was in a different city to do a revival. And he woke up in the middle of the night and there was a demon at the foot of his bed. And the demon said, I own this city and you can't have it. And my friend said, if that was true, you wouldn't be here trying to intimidate me. You see, we need to have our eyes open to who we are and what's really going on here. There is no entity, no organization, no person on the planet that intimidates hell except a born-again follower of Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Spirit with the name of Jesus on his or her lips. And I don't care if you're two or 102. You have the same authority that Jesus Christ does. We are ambassadors representing Heaven on earth and in hell. He said, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. He's saying that's small potatoes. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. The word name in the Bible, when it talks about the name of Jesus, isn't just a cute name. You know, it's not like Joseph and Mary got the, you know, 101,000 name book, you know, and decided, oh, what do we want to name the Son of God? Let's pick a cute one, right? They didn't name their kid just because it sounded cute. And by the way, you ought not to. I'm sorry if it's too late, but you ought to look up what you named your kid. You ought to, get, you ought to look up what, what you named your kid. Maybe that'll answer some questions. The word name in the Bible says all that, that word, the name itself is all the name implies, such as rank or authority, character, reputation, or representative. That's why when police officers say, in the name of the law, they don't say, in my name, Sergeant Hooligan, stop in the name of Sergeant Hooligan. Okay? They don't do that. They say, stop in the name of the law because I am a representative of the entire judicial system. Or in the name of the king, Josiah and I just read the book of Esther, my 14-year-old son. We just read the book of Esther. Such a cool story. And when Mordecai needed... All the provinces around the, the realm that King Xerxes uh, was reigning over, which is a major portion of the Middle East, Mordecai said, I need all of the princes throughout all the provinces to know that you've given me permission to do what I've asked you. And he said, okay. He gave him, he wrote it down in a decree, then he took his signet ring, which you'd put wax on the paper, take the signet ring, which is the sign of the king, and you would seal it like that. He has the seal of the king. Do you know the Bible says when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit? That doesn't mean wrapped in cellophane. It means that you've been given the authority from God's signet ring, which is the name of Christ, on you. It can be seen in the realm of the Spirit. Don't you ever be afraid of a demon. They're afraid of you. But they know if you know who you are or not. 
That's why I thank God in the first couple years of my Christianity, I meditated hard on who I am in Christ. That's how my wife got out of a, uh, out of a um, she, she wanted to, uh, well, she had anorexia, bulimia when she was a teenager. She went to the hospital twice for bulimia. She has a powerful testimony. She said, oh, I just, I just, you can manipulate the doctors and the psychiatrists. And she said, you, you, you can't get well unless you want to. You can play all the games, jump through the hoops, you can manipulate. And that's why she can spot deception like that, because that's what she did. She said, do you know what saved her and got her out of that condition? A revelation of her identity in Christ. Booyah. She said, I, I'm not, I don't belong to myself. I belong to Jesus. And in him, I'm a princess. And I have authority over bulimia. This is why the disciples often use Jesus' name and his title. You know Christ is not the last name of Jesus. It's not like, it's not his last name. Was it Mary Christ, Joseph Christ, Jesus Christ? (laughs) Jesus Christ literally means Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah. Messiah comes from the word to smear. It's the anointing. It's what a prophet would put on a king or a priest. They take oil, which is the sign of the Holy Spirit, which is why we anoint people with oil. It's the sign of the Holy Spirit. And we literally pour the oil and and, and, uh, saturate a person in oil. That's not what we're supposed to be doing, by the way, when we anoint you with oil when you come down here. We're supposed to be pouring a bucket of oil over your head, but we're polite, and we know that ladies work on their hair a lot. We don't want to mess that up, so we just do a little dab, and it represents the Holy Spirit, and miracles happen anyway. For the Jews, Messiah, the word literally means the expected liberator or savior of a captive people. So when you pray for somebody in the name of Jesus, you're saying, I pray in the name of the expected liberator and savior of a captive people. The Messiahship of Jesus literally means the character, the state, or office of Jesus Christ as the savior of the world. That is why when you read through the life of Jesus, you see demons responding like in Mark chapter 5. It says, with a shriek, ah! he screamed. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus? I love that word in the New Living Translation, interfering. The devil comes to harass, hurt, cripple, maim, possess, oppress, kill people. That's his assignment. The Bible says, for this reason, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Don't ever give God the credit for, for, for destruction is the savior he's the healer he's the redeemer he's the giver he's the lover of the human race satan is the destroyer and his name is deceiver his whole plan is to lure especially young people away from church from god from the kingdom from the bible lure them away he's called the deceiver through lies of philosophies of men so that he can destroy them disconnect them from God and their divine destiny. Make them irrelevant and unfruitful in the earth. And then Jesus returns. So the demons were doing the same thing then they're doing today, but Jesus comes on the scene, and I love it. He says, why are you interfering with me? Son of the Most High God. The demons know who Jesus is. It's People who are struggling with the identity of Jesus, hell knows who he is. Heaven knows who he is. It's us that need our eyes open to know who Jesus truly is. Look at that. Demons are smarter than people. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Oh, don't you know they say the same thing about you when you know who you are in Christ? Why does Hollywood, why does Satan get all the movies? Why does the priest get cast out of the window? Why does the priest always look like he's emaciated and, and doing all these tricks and, and holy water and, and beads and, and doing all these incantations and it takes 
you know, forever to finally tell a demon what to do. That's hogwash. If a real Christian walked into the scene, the movie would be about three seconds long. This is why God forbids us to do sorcery, tarot cards, uh, witchcraft. All this stuff is Satan's way through entertainment to intrigue the human mind because we know there's something beyond us. And it intrigues us because we are designed as eternal beings. And that's why fortune telling is a multi billion dollar industry because we want to know our future. We want to know what's going on in the realms that we can't see. Satan has a lock on that industry, and it's a shame because God is a spirit, and he created Satan. Satan's an angel. He's a, he's a finite, limited being. God's eternal. He created and owns the spirit realm. He's the one that gives us the, the, the gift of prophecy and the working of miracles and all these things. But the church over the centuries has been so pathetically weak and filled with unbelief and fear of the Holy Spirit that we have reduced the kingdom of God down to just teaching and not demonstration of the power of God. So when you see the supernatural, it scares us and we think it's the devil. Why does he get to own the supernatural? He's a robber and a thief and a liar. That's why I like casting out demons. I love it. Pathetic little creatures that rejected our God. who spent eternity in hell in the flames of fire. And they're just trying to take as many people with them as they can between here and there. And we are the ones to stop them. But we're too busy. And we don't know who we are and what our assignment is. I think I'm preaching today. Is this, am I preaching? I think I'm preaching. Clearly the demon was the one talking to Jesus because it says that he saw Jesus from afar off and came running to him and worshipped him. So the man, if you see this in Mark chapter 5, he was, he was uh, bound in chains and living in the hills. It says when he saw Jesus, he ran to him and bowed down and worshipped him. Now you would think it was the man bowing down to worship him, but it wasn't. It was the demon. Because the demon said to him, why are you interfering with me? And it says because Jesus told him to come out. So Jesus saw him from afar and said, come out. And the the guy comes running, bowing down, worshiping Jesus. But actually it was the demon doing that in the man's body. It even happens in church. Watch out. Here we go. Mark chapter 1, verse 23. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue. I cast the demon out of some lady. I I won't tell you the story again, but down in Mexico just last year there in church sitting right there in the sorry pal sitting right about where you are right in the right in the right in the aisle seat right there demons just sitting there right in church she got completely delivered in that church service and was serving us all weekend long just bringing us food and just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I've been to every doctor. I've been to a psychiatrist. I'm on medication. She goes, I was going to kill myself that night. But it was in that church service that she got set free by the power of the name of Jesus. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you, here it is again, interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. He said, be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. This is why, this is why demons obeyed the ordinary followers of Jesus, because he gave them power of attorney. You know what power of attorney is? Where you can do business, legal matters, and financial matters on behalf of somebody else's account. It's like you, when you sign your name, it's just like them signing their name, power of attorney. Heaven has given you and I, as followers of Christ, power of attorney with the name of Jesus. Let's look at the first act, let's look at the first application of this, this first miracle in the book of Acts. Will you go to the book of Acts with me? Yes, you will, because you're going to look at the screen. Here we go. So, Jesus died, 
rose from the dead, right hand of the throne of God. He says, I give you all authority. Now go do what you saw me do when I was in my ministry on earth. And I'm going to come back one day and bring you all home. In the meantime, carry on. So Peter and John, without theological degrees, are going to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he, put a, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Now, do you think you have a serious problem, maybe one that's bigger than God? Now, I know as a Christian, you'll say, oh, no, 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 no. But our fears betray us. Our fears, our anxieties, our depression prove that sometimes we believe we have a problem God can't solve. This guy could not walk. His legs did not work from the time he was born. And in his culture, he had no hope because they believed he was cursed by God and deserved it. He was not expecting a miracle, nor was anybody around him. But miracles are for things that are beyond hope. And the more beyond hope they are, the greater miracle there is ready to be revealed. And the greater the miracle, the greater the glory of God. Martha said, Jesus, if you had come when my, my brother was sick, he would have been healed. Well, Jesus had a bigger miracle in store. And at the beginning of that story, he said, this sickness is not in the death, but for the glory. The glory being when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Also, this man sitting lame, the gate called beautiful, his sickness, his lameness had become his identity. Has your affliction, has your condition Has your bondage, addiction, whatever it might be, has it been so long that it has become your identity? Don't allow it to happen in your mind. I know it's hard. I know it's a struggle. I love it when God called his people who had been in slavery for 430 years under the Egyptian rule. He calls them out, delivers them, and brings them into the desert, gives them the Ten Commandments, which is the way to live life successfully. And then they ran up against a people, and God said, Moses, send my army out against them. In their minds, they were slaves. My grandma and grandpa were slaves. My great-grandma and grandpa were slaves. My great-uncles are slaves. My brothers and sisters are slaves. We're slaves. And God says, no, you're my army. We cannot allow our natural conditions to define us. The cancer that came on my wife was not her cancer. It was Satan's cancer. She is not a victim. She is a victor. So how do you not let it become your identity while you're still suffering with it? Two things. One, do what you can do. I threw this into the message because I think it's for somebody. Do what you can do. I love this video my Josiah and I watched. Josiah, now I'm preaching this, and my son is a paraplegic. It's handicapped. I've had five dreams where he's gotten completely healed. I laid hands on him. He's running around shouting and screaming and running with the other kids. The joy I felt from his healing, tears coming out of my eyes, and then I wake up. That's happened five times. I told the Holy Spirit, let's get on with it. <laughs> it's not funny. I don't want another dream. I want a real actual mirror. But I think he's priming my faith. He's trying to get me to the place where I believe for it. But in the meantime... What do you do? You walk by faith. And so what we say to Josiah is we don't let him get in the front of the line he's in a wheelchair. We don't let him get handouts. We said, don't you take a handout, son. You do what you can do with what you have. And we watched a video of a guy from Ghana, amputee. And in that culture, they are cursed. And so they can get no education, no occupation, no transportation. All they can do is beg, period. But there's one guy named Emmanuel who on his mom's bed, she said, don't you beg. And that rang in his head. So he decided he was going to get on a bicycle and use his one leg that was 
twisted and bike all the way across to raise awareness that handicapped people can do too. Amazing testimony. Athletic uh, Foundation here in San Diego heard of it, brought him over here after he went across Ghana on his bicycle and had him run the had him ride in the bicycle piece of the triathlon here in San Diego. Then they got him a prosthetic leg. And he went back to Ghana, and he was the first handicapped person to ever be invited into the king's palace. And the and that pass bills where they get public transportation, they get vocational training, they get education. They have all the rights as others. Completely changed. Ghana's perception of the handicapped because he did what he could do with what he had. And his phrase is, disability does not mean inability. I so respect Marsha Brown, who's over here on the other side of the congregation. She with cancer for years, but she's done FPU classes for us, Financial Peace University. She does financial counseling for people. She intercedes for people. She's serving while she is suffering. And she's still believing at the same time. That's a real Christian sitting right over there. And that's the second point is keep believing. What you do in the meantime, keep believing. Let God's promises define you. Let his covenant be your expectations. But at times... It is very hard for you to believe for yourself. You recognize this man at the gate was not expecting a miracle. He wasn't asking for a miracle. He didn't have the faith for a miracle. It was Peter's faith that healed him. If you don't have faith for your miracle, you can work on getting to me. Body, this is why it is such a lie of the devil to say you don't need church. God has given you a piece of the pie. A piece of the puzzle. Without you, the church is weak. And without the church, you will never reach your full destiny. You will not have the support you need. You won't get the training that you need. I had somebody this week tell me that they, you know, they worship at home. Well, where's the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher? Are they all coming to your house? Who are you ministering to? The body of Christ needs every believer in it so the army can be full so hell cannot prevail against us as we march forward. But when people buy the lie, they do not need to be in church. They don't need to be part of the organized religion. You just crippled the army of God. And I think I'm still preaching. There are times when you do not have faith for your situation. That's when you need to call up a brother or a sister and say, I need your faith. I need you to believe for me and with me. That's how the body of Christ works. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, the Bible says. Can I hear a real loud amen right there? Peter looked at him intently in verse 4 and said, look at us. I love the boldness. The lame man looked at him eagerly, expecting some money. Not a miracle, some money. Peter wasn't fearful of the man's plight. He didn't avoid him or ignore him due to feeling like, oh, I got to avoid this person because they're, I can't help them. And he didn't get into a theological discussion with him, didn't invite him to church, didn't sit down and comfort him. Peter knew that he had what the man needed that could fix his situation. May the Lord teach us how to get there from here, family of God. Peter said, I don't have silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. He, has the same, he had the same thing you and I have right now. I'm going to say that again. What Peter knew that he had, you and I have right now. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. 
Did you know that he didn't pray a prayer right there? This is for us. He knew he had the authority. He knew the name. He knew the authority rested in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He didn't need to pray God's will about. He already knew God's will because he saw Jesus die on the cross and bear our sins and sicknesses and diseases in his body. He saw him when he raised from the dead. He heard him when he said, I give you all authority in heaven and earth. He saw how Jesus healed every person that came to him. He never said no to anybody that came to him. Peter saw it. He walked with him. He watched him. That's why Peter said, now it's my turn. As a representative of Jesus Christ, I know who he is. I know what he does. And I have his name. Woo! I think it's our unbelief that causes us to pray these big, long, unbelief-filled prayers personally. You know, when we go to pray for someone, it's like, oh, Lord, you know she's a good woman. No, she's not. She's a sinner, like the rest of us. She's a damn bad. She's a mixed bag. Oh, Lord, you know how she serves. You know how she does this. What are we trying to do? People pray for me. Oh, God. John, he's such a wonderful pastor. He serves his people night and day. Your people. No, I don't. I'm as pathetic as you are. We're just all in this together just trying to get there. God doesn't answer our prayers because of our goodness. He answers them because of his goodness. Somebody say grace. So don't try to impress God with how impressive the person is that you're praying for. This released the kingdom on him. You think Jesus interviewed everybody in the crowd that he healed? Okay, now. I need to find out if you're worthy to be healed. This is some darn good preaching right here. All Peter did was command the man to walk. Next week, my last message in our faith series is faith and declarations. The power of a, a Christian declaring things. You don't find a prayer for healing in the entire book of Acts. What you do find is this. They prayed long, personal, private prayers and made short, powerful, public declarations. Then Peter looked at the lame man, took him by the right hand, helped him up. I've got to rush through the rest of this and wrap this up. And then we're going to pray for people down front here. In the name of Jesus. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into church with them. Now, I want to answer the question of what healed the man. But first I want to ask this question. What did not heal the man? What did not heal the man? Well, I want you to read this with me. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God in verse 9. When they realized that he, that he was the lame man that begged, they so often saw at the gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's coronate, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity, which was a salvation message, and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, why are you so surprised about this? Or well, why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? What did not produce the miracle? Number one, their own power. It's not the power, it's not the power of confession. It's not any human capability whatsoever that produced this miracle. Our, the limit of our power is to our medical technology, our advancements, our research, you know, all, all the incredible 
discovers we've made as human beings, but that is all so unbelievably limited, and we all know it. We run up against limitations on earth all the time, especially when it comes to this kind of a thing. But God's power is unlimited, and our faith releases the unlimited power of God. He says, why do you look at us as though by our own power we did this? Don't look at us. And then here's the boom. Here's the kaboom. Their own godliness. He says, why look upon us as by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? You see, the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of God is independent of us, other than our faith. An example, a police officer has a gun on her holster, and she has the name of the law. Be immoral, she could be moral. The gun still works. And if she truly is a police officer, then she is truly connected to all the authority of the justice system behind her, whether she's moral or immoral. Am I given a license for you, you and I to be idiots? No. To be immoral? No. To sin? No. That's not my message at all. What I am saying is this. If you and I are waiting for ourselves to be perfectly, or we can use the name of Jesus to help somebody else, we can never use the name of Jesus to help somebody else. So take that lie and flush it. Throw it in the trash can. When you step up to use the name of Jesus to bring deliverance to somebody, power is by the holiness of God and by the power of the name of Jesus. And all of heaven opens and all of hell closes when you stand there with the name of Jesus. What did do the miracle? Faith in Jesus' name. Look what he says. Through faith In the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Peter said, don't look at us. Don't think we're more holy than anybody else. This has nothing to do with us. This has to do with the authority of Jesus' name. The book of Acts, for those of you who have not yet come to Christ, the book of Acts says this. There is salvation and no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And then when it's all said and done, I'm going to close with this. It's all Whether you and I have confessed Christ or not, we're eventually going to bow to him. Either here or there, now or later, Involuntarily or voluntarily. Here we can do it voluntarily. There it will be involuntarily because the curtains will be pulled back. We'll see it all. There'll be Jesus. There, there he will be. And all of heaven, earth, and under the earth will bow to him. Let's read this in the book of Philippians. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His name is to be revered and honored by his people. And when we use his name in worship, we are, we are, we are proclaiming the most precious name in all of existence. When we pray to the Father, we're praying to the Father in His Son's name, and it unlocks all of heaven. And when we speak to sickness and disease and the demons, they must obey us. 
May our faith and the authority of his name be at a whole new level as we walk out of this place today. And the next time you say, in Jesus' name, may you realize all of heaven is behind that. I'm going to ask for the band to come up and let's all stand. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down front. Let us use the name of Jesus this morning and let's watch him do miracles. When I preach like this, faith arises because you know it's truth. And truth unlocks the faith that's already inside of you. That's why, like when Janine came down uh, last month, a month and a half ago, she came down and her ankle was completely swollen because she had a high ankle sprain or had, had fractured a bone or something. And, and her husband, Andy, works in uh, sports medicine. He knew exactly what it was. She couldn't even walk on campus. He literally, at the end of the message, he walked, she hobbled down. He helped her down here. All I did was speak to the ankle in the name of Jesus. And she was instantaneously healed and was dancing and running back all over this place. But it was at the end. Amen. Go ahead. Recently, so there was something going on in my body. I won't tell you about it. It's a little personal. There was something going on in my body. And I spoke to my own body in the name of Jesus, and it instantaneously healed. But I say that about Janine and myself because it's at the end of a truth-filled message that the faith is higher. And we need to capitalize on that. Because when you walk out of there, you're back in the fray, you're back in the battle, and you're fighting doubt and unbelief. Right now, our faith is higher because you just got cleansed by the Word of God. So come down front. Let these prayer teams agree with you in prayer right now. Let's capitalize on this. And let's believe God for miracles, no matter what it is. And if you've never given your life to Christ, you come down and let them pray for you for healing. Brian and Michelle, you please come down and be a prayer team. We need more prayer teams down there. David and Jeanette, will you guys come down? Mary, come on down. Mark Myers, please come down. Ron, come on down. Let's get ready to pray for people and let's believe God for miracles. Josh and Mindy and Michael are going to begin to praise. You can come down for prayer. You can stay in praise. You can slip out if you want. Thank you for coming today. But let's let this be a a place of worship right now as we're believing Christ for miracles. God bless you.